Thank you, Brother Dan. This morning, our title of our lesson is Integrity on Display. How would you, what kind of value would you place on integrity? How important is it? Great value. Why do you say that, Dan? Absolutely, and it's important in our life in every area. So today we're going to see it on how we can display it in our life. Our family theme is attitudes that please the Lord. Our objective is to interact with everyone, whether it's in the workplace, uh, in the community, uh, in the world, anywhere. Uh, you know, live and interact in ways that bring honor to Christ, and also would point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text this morning will be in Colossians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 22, and we'll go through chapter 4, verse 6. We've got uh, two key truths this morning. Number one, uh, a workplace for believers' conduct. Uh, Whether we're working or on a business transact, whatever we're doing, everything we do should bring honor to Christ. Would you agree with that? Amen. Second of all, prayer and wise living will help us influence, and I want to say impact, the lives of unbelievers. The key truth number two. Under Bible Basics, we've been encouraged to review the names and order of the books. The first 31 books of the Old Testament. By the way, how many books are there in the Old Testament? 39, right? How many in the New? 27. Now remember, if you can remember the first one, 39... Take three times nine, you got twenty-seven. That really has nothing to do with it. it just works out, okay? So let's let's start. I'll do number one, Genesis. Exodus. Let's keep going. Leviticus. Numbers. Deuteronomy. Say it again. Okay. Judges. Come on, Anna. Ruth. Oh, you took the easy ones, Dan. First and second Samuel. All right, then what's next? I'll take them. First and second Kings. I'll do that. First and second Chronicles. Ezra. Nehemiah. Esther. Ruth. What about Naomi? I'm kidding, Rhonda. <laughs> She said Ruth. Okay, Ruth did what? <laughs> okay. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. What was the second one? What did you say, Rhonda? Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Oh, I missed limitation. Yeah, I did. Thank you, Dan. We've got Ezekiel, right? Where you at? Where you at? Come on, Anna. I know you had to memorize. Somebody else. Where we at? Daniel? Yeah, Hosea? I'm stuck. Amos? Okay, Joel? What's the next one? Obadiah. There we are. 31 books, okay? 
Well, maybe we ought to review them once, every once in a while more often, huh? Uh, quite a list there. And, and by the way, uh, which of those books are inspired by God? All of them. Wait a minute, you got major prophets, you got minor prophets. Doesn't matter, right? It's all inspired by God. But we're in uh, Colossians this morning, so where does that fit in the story of the Bible? Again, we've been here off and on for several weeks. Uh, Paul wrote this letter uh, probably around A.D. 61 to 62. But what's interesting, Paul was under a house arrest in Rome while he wrote this letter. And today we're going to find out, we're going to look at the part of that letter where Paul gives instructions about how the attitude we ought to have uh, in the workplace, uh, with servants, if you will, and also how we are to uh, interact to those who are unbelievers. And Paul does a great job with that. Uh, let's do our get started. In our world today, in our culture especially, uh, how do most people respond with those they don't agree with? What do you mean by that, Dan? Okay. Okay. Do we see that often in our world today? Sure. Now, uh, I don't do Facebook. Uh, if you do, that's okay. Pam, uh, she does it as far as just finding out some news once in a while, what's going on, especially with people we know in the denomination. Um, but I, I was talking to Brother Jerry MacArthur this past week, and he said, you know, he said, I really appreciate your family and, and how your boys, you know, are, are loving God. He said, the only thing with Jeremy is you need to put a chain on his mouth sometime. Uh, talking about his Facebook post, you know, because Jeremy likes to rustle the leaves, okay? Uh, and, but yet the sad thing is, and, uh, and, and again, people don't realize, even though it's on social media, can people's feelings be hurt? Sure they can. And, and so a, a lot of times in our world today, uh, we see that uh, hatred or, or things like that. And, and, you know, by the way, even though I don't do Facebook, uh, I, I have to guard myself uh, because certainly... As a Christian, I take conservative views. Uh, I vote conservatively. I vote uh, biblically. And I have to guard myself not to get angry with those who don't agree with that stand. And I have to realize, chances are, I'm not going to change them. And I know they're not going to change me. But is there, is, does that give me the right to disrespect them? Not at all. And so I think we need, and I talk about my own life, I've got to pray for myself a lot. Lord, help me to make sure I maintain uh, the same attitude. Because I really want to tell them how dumb they really are. You know, but the fact that, guess, guess what they would tell me? Same thing, okay? Because they don't agree uh, with, with my beliefs as well. But here's what's interesting today. You know, Paul reminds us, we have to be careful how we communicate with others. Uh, and And again, just because we don't agree with someone doesn't mean they don't deserve at least some type of respect and some type of kindness whenever we respond to them. Well, uh, we are going to be in chapter 3 today, beginning verse 22 in a moment. But it's interesting, earlier in chapter 3, verse 17, Paul kind of uh, sets the stage, if you will, by telling us that whatever we do, no matter what it is, no matter where it is, we have to do it unto the Lord, whatever we do. Now, if we keep that in mind, that whatever we do, we to do it for the glory of the Lord. If we keep that in mind, will that change our attitudes? 
in how we do things, without a doubt. So Paul tells us to do that. So today, again, and by the way, almost every letter Paul writes, he begins with theology. And usually spend a few, a few chapters on that, but the latter part of his letters almost always go, how do we apply that theology to everyday living? And how many know God's Word certainly made to study and to read, and we find a lot of theology in there, but unless you take that Word, God's Word, and apply it to our lives daily, it has very little use for us. Thank God Paul took the time uh, to do that. Let's begin in verse 22 of chapter 3, and since it's the same subject, we'll read all the way through verse 1 of chapter 4, and we're going to find out about our workplace conduct, and really anywhere we are, should bring honor to Jesus Christ. So let's read from verse 22 of chapter 3, all the way through verse 1 of chapter 4. Thank you, Dan. Now, again, you can see the connection between uh, verse 25, uh, or actually verses 22 through 25, and chapter 4, verse 1. Remember, there were no chapters when Paul wrote this letter, uh, so that it's a continuous thought that Paul is addressing here. Now, I know the King James used the word servants, but really, what's, what's Paul talking about here? Who's he talking about? What word would we use? Slaves, okay? Can you imagine that? Slaves. Why would Paul address that issue? Anybody have any idea? Why would he even bring it up? Well, first of all, you need to know that it's estimated there were at least several million slaves in the Roman Empire. At least many theologians believe that even in the city of Colossae, over half the people were slaves. Now, again, let's think about this. If you have a slave, you have to have a what? Yeah, a master. So we got slaves, we got masters. Now remember, Paul is not writing to unsaved people. He's writing to who? Saved, the church. And of course, we know particularly the church at Colossae, but it's to any Christian. And because slavery was such a uh, part of that culture, Paul says, I need to address that issue. So he's, he's talking here, Writing to Christian slaves, but also Christian slave owners. Now, make no mistake about it. It would be good advice for any slave owner or any slave. But Paul is addressing particularly those who are in Christ. Now, in that culture, in the Roman Empire, children, women, slaves had no, no rights. They were the lowest on the social ladder. 
some of the slaves were because uh, they had been taken captive, you know, from a foreign land. Uh, some were into slavery because they got into debt and they couldn't pay their debt and now they become slaves. Uh, we also have to understand uh, in that culture, uh, a lot of your doctors, a lot of your lawyers, uh, a lot of the artisans, all, many of those were slaves. So slavery was predominant in that society. And we have to remember, uh, the world says, okay, you're a slave, I'm your master, so therefore I'm up here, and you are down here. That's what the culture said. But what does God say? What would he say about that? Say it again. Everybody's even. Now, please understand. And Paul realized the situation. Uh, he realizes that in the pagan society, there was a, a pecking order, if you will. But he says you have to remember, when it comes to the family of God, no one is greater than the other. Now, again, he realized there is a separation between the slave and the owner, the master and the slave, if you will. And it's kind of interesting. He reminds those who were servants, those who were slaves, don't just uh, do what you do to please your slave master. Because ultimately, who do you have to answer to? To God. To your real master. So don't just be a men a pleaser. Uh, Brother Palmer Harvey's in heaven now, and he used to work carpenter work and uh, a lot of time union work. And he said they used to work two or three guys together. <coughs> he said they had one guy in their group of three or four guys. So he never did anything. He said, but it didn't matter what you were doing. He said, if we were digging a ditch and he happened to see the foreman coming, he'd grab the shovel by your hand. Why would he do that? It looked good, right? That's the only time. And it just, he just looked good, all right? And Paul says, don't do that. Don't try to be a men pleaser. You need to do whatever you do, not as though you're doing it to your master you're here on earth, but you're doing it unto the Lord. You should do it just that way. Okay, then I, we understand that. But what about those slaves whose masters didn't show them much respect? Say it again, Wayne. It, it shouldn't make any difference. What about those whose masters hardly ever gave them an attaboy or appreciation? What about those kind of masters? Still shouldn't make any difference. And Paul reminds them of that. You have to understand here, okay? Because no matter what kind of master you're serving. Now remember... One of the reasons that Paul even addresses this, because slavery was so prevalent, and there were a lot of slaves who came to know Christ as their Savior. There were a lot of masters who came to know Christ as their Savior. So my question is, do you think it was probable that there were some Christian slaves who didn't have Christian masters? Sure it was, without a doubt. And, and there were some Christian masters whose slaves weren't all Christians. But Paul's saying, look, you need to understand doesn't matter what your situation is. If you're a slave, you have a duty before God to obey your master. Because Paul says the bottom line is, you're not just trying to seek 
primarily your freedom. You're not trying to seek any kind of earthly reward. The bottom line is the, the most important thing in your life is to please God. Now remember, slaves in that culture normally had no kind of monetary uh, gain. Uh, they had no rights. And they certainly had no inheritance. But Paul says, your master in heaven holds a great inheritance for you. So Paul says, you're not working to please your master here on earth. You're working to please who? The one in heaven, right? And what a difference that would make in anyone's attitude. Now, let's go, let's go another scenario here. And as I said earlier, there were certainly a lot of slaves who had received Christ. And there were probably quite a few masters who had been born again. But suppose you happen to be one, a Christian slave, who also had a Christian master. Are you supposed to take advantage that, you, that, that he's your brother in Christ? Are you supposed to take advantage of them? No. Paul said it doesn't matter. It does it matter? Don't take advantage of your situation. So my question would be, when does God look the other way? Ah, he never does. He simply doesn't do that. And, you know, certainly I, I think of myself, and this is probably what I would have thought, well, you know, I'm a Christian. My master's a Christian. So, uh, wow, uh, he probably won't care whether I do my job or not. That's not true. That is absolutely not true. Now, according to verse 25, does God show any uh, favoritism? No. doesn't matter who you are. Whether you're a slave or a slave owner, Paul says God will punish you if you do wrong. If the, if, if the slave is doing wrong, you're going to answer to God. If the slave master is doing wrong, they are going to answer to God. So God is not going to show favoritism. He is not going to show that in repaying wrong because it doesn't matter whether you're saved or you're lost. But Paul said if you're a slave, you're to do what's expected of you. Then in verse 1, of course, he deals with the master. Same thing goes there. Whether you're a slave or you're a master, who do you really serve if you're a Christian? You serve God. And who do you have to answer to? God. Doesn't matter. And the slave masters needed to realize that. But also, as a slave master, those slaves that were under him also had a master greater than he was. Who was that? God was their master too. And they had to keep that in mind. He was master over the slaves. He was master over the ones who ruled the slaves. And both groups had to answer to the Lord. Now, it's interesting. I think, to, at least in our culture today, these words seem strange to us. But it's hard for us to imagine what a game changer these words were in Paul's day. 
These words were actually revolutionary. Uh, now, by the way, uh, just get some feedback here. What what are some things that you, we don't see here or anywhere in Paul's writings that may surprise us when it comes to slavery? What are some things we don't see? Never did, did he? Now, isn't that interesting? Because, you know, we would think, wow, you know, why not say, hey, let's, let's, let's sort of revolt here. Let's set the, masters, you ought to set those slaves free. Doesn't say that. In fact, Paul never says that in any of his writings. But also notice, Paul doesn't condemn slavery, and he doesn't necessarily condone it either. He simply says, if you're a slave, do what? Do what? Do the best you can. If you're a slave owner, treat them right. That's what he says. So he doesn't condone it, and he doesn't condemn it. But here's what's interesting. Christianity, and I don't need to tell you this, it's the best thing that ever happened to this world. Because Christianity taught you treat people how? With respect. Christianity teaches no big eyes or little use. Christianity teaches you you live a life of selflessness and you live to serve others. And so Paul, while he didn't politically incite a revolution, what he was teaching would eventually take hold in our world. And because of Christianity, that's why slavery is no longer in our nation. Did you realize that? Because of the truths. They were taught many, many years ago. Now remember, <coughs> millions of slaves in that culture in Roman Empire. And Paul doesn't protest slavery at all. Now, by the way, the Romans would have never allowed that. There was no room for any social unrest in the Roman Empire. Or you might try it, but guess what happens? Yeah, you get shut down in a heartbeat. And so you just didn't do that. And Paul, again, well, I think it's evident, but let me ask a question. Do you think Paul, his heartbeat was to stop slavery? No. It wasn't. His heartbeat was to preach the gospel. His heartbeat here is to show us, <clears throat> no matter what our, life, our lot in life is, our whole duty is to live before God, a life that honors Him. And it just so happened because slavery is so prevalent in His world, He dealt with that issue uh, concerning slaves and masters in the church. Now, here's what's also interesting. In the world, and Paul doesn't deny this, slaves were on the lowest rung of the ladder. And that's how it was. And he wasn't trying to change that. But I think what Paul is telling us, hey, that's okay in the world. That's okay, if you will, in your place of servanthood. But when you come to church, guess what? We're all equal. 
That doesn't matter anymore. The Bible warns us about giving preference in the church. I forget who I was listening to this week, and uh, they were talking about, um, I, I guess indirectly, about bishops and archbishops and this kind of bishop and that kind of bishop. Uh, well, first of all, they said, you don't read that in the Bible. Now, we know there are offices, but in the eyes of God, we're all what? We're all equal. We're all brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, also what's interesting, again, Paul didn't try to politically revolt against slavery. He simply taught some truths that I think impacted his world and should impact our world as well today. So he didn't say, you know, let their slaves go. And he didn't tell the slaves, revolt. There wasn't even any hint of that. Uh, was it an unfair system? Sure it was. But that's exactly how it was. Now, here's what is interesting. The teaching of Christianity slowly began to change society on the issue of slavery. Now, that was a slow change. It certainly was imperfect, but the change was real. And that teaching, Christian teaching, would eventually cripple slavery. It would bring it to an end. Also what's interesting is this. Normally in our world today, slavery is prevalent only when the gospel has not reached yet. The gospel changes lives. Well, okay, do I have any slaves here this morning? I, 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 see, I'm going to say the same thing about Pam because she's not injured. you got more nerve than I've got, okay? Um, but the truth is we're not. So how would this apply to any of us or any people in our world today in America? How would that apply? How could we apply that? Why would you say that? Amen. Because we're working for God. Amen. Now, I worked at General Motors for 13 years. And I hate to say this, but some of the sorriest people that worked there claimed to be Christians. And I never could understand that. Now, not, not all the Christians, not, 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 not by any means. But how many know people are always watching our lives? Now, here's, here's a, uh, I think, a, a, a revolutionary thought. Isn't it true when the, when the unsaved look at our lives, they may not know what to expect. But would you agree they expect something different? Dan? Wow. 
No kidding. Mm-hmm. And it amazed me, Dan, they let him get by with it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like a politician, didn't it? <laughs> you know, but you're right. And, and the sad thing, it, it shouldn't matter what we do. No matter what our profession may have been in life, and haven't we all seen people who took advantage of the situations? And the sad thing is when it's Christians. And that's why we have to remember, no matter where we are in life, no matter what our lot in life is, no matter where we're called to serve or to work, we have to do it as unto the Lord. Now, as a Christian, what kind of ethics should Christians exercise in a workplace? What kind of ethics should they have? Honesty, Honesty. yep. Okay. It ought to be hard work. They'll set examples. And sadly, it doesn't always happen. But that's what God has called us to do. Now, remember, uh, the way we live our lives, especially if we're still in the workplace or any, any way at all, the way you conduct your life will do any more, more, do far more than any gospel track you might lay on the bathroom sink when you leave. Any gospel track you might lay on someone's desk. The way you live your life will impact their lives more than anything else you can do. And you know as well as I do, a lot of unsaved look at Christians and accuse them of being what? Hypocrite. What do you mean by that, Dan? Amen. In other words, the way you live doesn't match up the way you talk. And folks, I, I, I'm convinced. Our lives of integrity are beyond value in our world. Beyond value. When I was involved in my remodeling business, and there were several... Um, stores I did a lot of business with. And I never forget, I hardly ever complained. And when I did, it was never out of line. And one day I walked into the contract area where they all knew me, the, the uh, folks that worked there, and I said, I need to speak to a manager, please. And he should have heard the buzz. Could be something really wrong if he's complaining. Must be something really bad if he's complaining. Because I wasn't known as a complainer. I, I was, and, and again, I, even then, I, I had a legit, legitimate complaint. I wasn't out of line. I didn't get angry. I didn't curse. 
And what really gets me when I hear a Christian say, you know, I had this or that happen, and I really gave him a piece of my mind. And every time I hear that, I thought, boy, you should have saved it for yourself, but you don't have much of it left anyway. The problem is, folks, listen to me. What kind of witness have we left? Now, I wish I could say here I'm, I'm always perfect in the area, but I'm not. But by the grace of God, I have tried to maintain my integrity throughout my walk with Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I, I had to laugh this morning. I, you know, I used to love the old cartoons. Remember uh, uh, Wiley the Coyote? Roadrunner. And, and I was thinking just this morning as I thought about this, because a lot of people believe as a Christian, when you go to work and you clock in, you put on a different coke. I remember watching these cartoons. Help me out here. Some of you won't remember that. Well, most of you should. But I remember like some of them would clock in in the morning. As walking to the time clock, they're friendly to each other. They'd say hi. But once they, I said, I, in fact, I even, I, take, I told Pam a while ago, about 10 minutes before, give me my, my, myself, I want to look this up, make sure I'm right. And, and one of them, here they come. And they're walking to the time clock, there's, good morning, you know, or whatever that was. But once they put that time clock, right away he grabbed my toward punching me. It changed. And the sad thing is, there were Christians who lived their life that way. I punched the clock now. I'm a different, different realm, a different compartment. And so now I live. No, you don't live differently. We live the same. No matter where we are. No matter where we serve. So whenever we're living for Jesus, that responsibility does not stop. Now, I don't think they use time clocks anymore. I think Pam logged in a computer where she's at. Uh, but whatever however it is, it doesn't stop. It never stops. We're to be the same. Let's apply it. Glorify Jesus Christ by modeling hard work and integrity wherever you work or have worked or wherever you serve in our world. So how do we demonstrate integrity? How do we do it as Christians? How do we do it in the workplace? Or how should we have done it in the workplace? Amen. When? All the time. Doesn't matter who your boss is. Doesn't matter whether they like it or they don't. Do the best you can all the time. That doesn't mean uh, you, you don't complain if there's if that follow complaint if you have to. But you still do the best you can. Key point number two. Prayer and wise living is the best thing that will help us influence those who are not saved. Colossians 4. Let's read verses 2 through 6, please. Thank you, Alan. Paul has dealt with, in, in this letter so far, not part of our lesson necessarily, he's dealt with husbands and wives, with children, slaves and masters. And now as he's about to close his letter, he brings his focus back on the church as a whole. 
And it reminds us as a church, as believers, we have a corporate responsibility. A responsibility one to each other. And so Paul begins to focus on how God's people as a whole ought to behave. And our behavior is very important in the eyes of God. So in in verse 2 here of Colossians 4, he returns to something that is not only a duty, but a blessing for every believer. And that is prayer. What a privilege and what a blessing and what a duty we have when it comes to prayer. Now, Paul is not speaking about one of these, now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayers. He's talking about deliberate, focused prayer. And by the way, it doesn't have to be long, but it must be deliberate and it must be focused, of course, upon the Lord. Whatever it is, we don't want shallow now, by the way, if you call someone to pray for you, do you want a shallow prayer? Not me. I want somebody who can touch the face of God. And so it's interesting. Uh, prayer also includes being thankful. And why should we be thankful? Why should we be thankful? Amen. And, and by the way, without a doubt, uh, it, it keeps our prayer from just being a selfish prayer list. You know, you know, Lord, I want, or Lord, give me this, or give me that, or Lord, do this, or do that for me. So we need to uh, be thankful in our prayers. Now remember, where was Paul at when he wrote this letter? What was he doing? He was under house arrest. Now, listen, folks, I don't do pain very well. I like being comfortable. How about you? I mean, I told you before, I don't like camping out. I mean, if I'm going to rough it, I'll turn my air conditioner up a little bit higher, okay? Uh, but that's about as far as I want to go. But Paul's under house arrest. And you notice what he didn't pray for? He didn't ask for them to pray that God would release me. didn't ask for that. He simply prays that God's word would have free course. He prays that somehow, in some way, even where he's at, that God would open the door for him, that he might share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. Think about what was important in the life of Paul. Now, you need to remember, he's under Roman arrest. He's under house arrest. I realize that. And people were allowed to come and visit with him and minister to him. I understand that. But it still wasn't pleasant. He was still under guard 24 hours a day. But Paul realized, here I am, an ex-Jewish rabbi, and I'm trying to convince these pagans that they need a Savior. And, I, and even more than that, the Savior I'm preaching, the Romans crucified. So Paul realized that is going to be a difficult task to convince this pagan world, especially the Roman world, that Jesus Christ came to save them from their sins. And Paul realized, without the help of God to open those doors and help me to share it in such a way, that it becomes alive to them. Paul says, I need your prayers. What's Paul doing? He's asking for pray for me. And, and we call that intercessory prayer. And I hope that's part of your prayer life. <coughs> Praying for other people. The Bible also talks about, and Paul, another letter talks about supplications. And that's simply the request, the request we make before uh, God. Uh, praying, Lord, here's uh, what I'm asking you to do, whether it be in my life, 
That's from ourselves. Nothing wrong with that. But don't just focus on that. Pray for others as well. And so, so Paul said, look, pray for me. Pray for me that I would have more opportunities. And that I would take those opportunities to be bold in my witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul realized no matter what he preached, no matter how often he was able to share the gospel, he needed to be empowered, and that needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God if it's going to affect the lives of other people. But let me ask you a question. Supposing, and as far as we know, Paul was under house at rest at least one time for over two years. Supposing Paul was always hateful, Bitter, mean, arrogant during that time. And the list could go on. Suppose he lived that kind of lifestyle while under house arrest. What kind of impact do you think he might have had on those who were unsaved? Why not, Dan? Yeah. Would you agree it would turn them off? And I, I can imagine if you're like me, I'd say, look, Paul. I don't, want to hear, I don't want to hear what you got to say. I've watched how you live. I've watched how you interact with people. And Paul, thanks, but no thanks. Now remember, folks, when the unsaved look at our lives, they may not know what to expect, but I think without a doubt, they expect something different. Something different than this world has to offer. And more than anything else, I want to be that example. Paul Wanted to be that example. Paul mentioned in our text this, this morning about redeeming the time. Redeeming the opportunity. And we know what the word redeem means, but it had a strong meaning in the Greek. And it really means to buy all of it up. Buy up every opportunity. In our world today, we call it having a corner on the market. And Paul says, we need to have a corner on the market. We need to make sure about the Father's business. Redeeming, claiming it for ourselves, the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We mentioned intercessory prayer, Thanksgiving prayer, supplications. But I had to smile, Dan, when you prayed a while ago, and not at you, but with you, because I could identify with that. I don't know if you, if you caught yourself, Dan, but you said, Father, forgive me of my sins. Why would you ask God for that for? Amen. So do I, Dan. That's part of prayer. A big part of our prayer time needs to be confession. Inviting God to come into our moment. He knows where you are. And he wants to be where you are. But we've got to invite him to come in to that moment. So Paul says, guard your actions. Watch your behavior. Pray for me. But he also says, be careful how you speak to those around you. Especially the unsaved. Especially the unsaved. Now certainly, Paul says, be careful how you speak, but speak with salt. Make it interesting. 
Peter said, be ready to give an answer, a defense, if you will, for why you are who you are, how you behave, why you behave that way. <laughs> be careful, Paul says, because people are watching, thank you, Alan, your life. For many years now, I am a firm believer, have been a firm believer, will continue to be, that if you name the name of Christ, if I name the name, name the name of Christ, if I claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian, anyone who claims to be a Christian, we need to live like a Christian in our actions, in our walk, and yes, even in our talk. Paul had already introduced in chapter 3 about words that should be part of our vocabulary. It means more than bad words. Christians should not be known for profanity. I guard everything I say. But it means more than that. It means how we say things. We've got to guard against that. And so I think the whole key here is our desire needs to be more and more like Christ. And we need to keep praying And make sure how we interact with unbelievers, we do it in a very wise way. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you today for your goodness and for your mercy. And Lord, we confess we need you. We need you to help us to guard our eyes, what we see. Guard our ears, what we hear, Lord, and our mouths, what we say. Help us to walk wisely even among the unsaved. Lord, more than, more than anything else, we want to draw them to you. We'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next week, we're going to be in 2 Timothy, chapter 2. Make sure I got that right. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 1. Okay, 2 Timothy, chapter 1. God bless each one of you. You're dismissed.